Welcome to the Understanding Society podcast series. In today's podcast, Dr. Noah Urich from the Institute for Social and Economic Research at the University of Essex discusses groundbreaking new research using Understanding Society to explore the links between sexual orientation and poverty. I was approached by the Joseph Franchi Foundation to conduct a review of the question of sexual orientation and poverty. And this fits within a larger Joseph Franchi Foundation initiative to examine approaches to, to poverty reduction and alleviation across a range of domains, not just sexual orientation, but poverty generally in the UK, and then specific things having to do with gender and children and disability and so forth. And so the uh, sexual orientation and poverty review that I've been working on fits within this larger framework and projects that the Joseph Franchi Foundation has. So what's the context here, just in, in respect of what uh, research has already been done looking at these issues, uh, particularly as far as poverty is concerned and the links with sexual orientation? Well, it's very limited, actually. The, the literature on sexuality spends a lot of time talking about inequality and unfair treatment, the consequences of stigma, harassment, discrimination in education, in receipt of health services, in employment, but very rarely is the conversation or discussion analytically focused on material disadvantage per se. And it's quite tricky to actually do research on on it as well, largely because data resources are are very rarely large enough to have a, a, a sizable population to do robust statistics with. And also it's a stigmatizing characteristic. And so you've got disclosure issues. People who are participating in surveys or in research might not necessarily want to tell us about their sexuality. And so it's a tricky thing to actually do any kind of research on at all. But presumably that's where Understanding Society is now changing things. And I know you used Understanding Society in your research. Can you tell us a bit uh, about why? That's exactly right. So um, Understanding Society is a terrific new data resource because it has a very large sample. And so if you had a smaller sample size and you asked the sexual identity of the sample members or other things about their sexual practices in order to, to get a handle on sexuality in any way, you'd, you'd have too few people to be able to do any kind of analysis of. Understanding society is a very large individual sample. And so now we have about 1,500, 1500 people who claim a sexual identity other than heterosexual. And that allows us to do statistics. And so it's really a brand new resource that um, we haven't been able to exploit yet. So this is a top line look at some of those data with the specific focus on. So well as, as well as having sufficient numbers, um, what about the sorts of things that, that these people are asked about in their lives that have helped you uh, look at this whole question of, of, of poverty for these groups of people? Well, we know a few things about health. So health is a resource that we think about that allows people to participate fully in, in life and to um, meet the, the needs that they have for um, material existence. So people with poor health have problems sometimes meeting their needs, but also they have different needs or more extensive needs than others. So health is one of the areas that understanding society is very good at. We have a number of different measures, and there's some evidence that suggests that gay men, bisexual men, uh, lesbians and bisexual women all suffer poorer health than heterosexuals. So that's quite interesting. We have quite robust information about education experiences, particularly school bullying and how that um, pans out for sexual minorities. 
Um, and then we have quite an extensive complement of um, employment information, in particularly related to income, as really one of the key measures of, of, of poverty. Um, we have details on housing, housing characteristics, um, you know, mortgaging, um, wealth creation through housing, and lots of information about savings and household finances. And I think one of the most interesting things about understanding society is that it is a household panel survey, and we know the sexual identity of whole household members. So the analysis isn't just limited to people who are householders or couples, like some other data resources might be able to, to provide for us. But um, we get a picture of adults and young people who are still living in the family home. So it's, 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 it's quite a remarkable data resource. So I think at this point, Noah, we should move on to, to some of your findings. And, you know, I think it's best that we, we look at it group by group. So uh, does what you find tell us something specifically, should we say, first and foremost, about gay men? This is a comprehensive review of the literature, so as well as top line findings of understanding society. So when I talk about what I found for gay men, I'll be talking a little bit about what the literature suggests, but also what understanding society actually shows us. But in terms of gay men, if we just think about top line poverty findings, what we see is that there is a somewhat higher risk of being in poverty for gay men. Um, not much. It's not statistically significant over heterosexual men. But more to the point, gay men are actually significantly more likely to be on income support, for example, receive housing benefit, council tax benefit. They're more likely to live in rental accommodation as opposed to own their own home. The more interesting story, actually, is that we take a life course approach. And it turns out that young boys are significantly more likely to be bullied or victimized in school physically. And that has consequences for truancy and for mental well-being and health, early onset of smoking, drinking, and other illicit drug use. So as adolescents, young, young gay boys are really kind of not treated so well. There's a concern that that has implications for their educational attainment. And quite remarkably, gay men are the most likely to receive degrees, so university degrees. And that understanding society shows us that very clearly. On the contrary, the academic literature is very clear on this, and understanding society is, actually shows this as well. Gay men don't actually parlay that into jobs with high incomes. And there's evidence that suggests that there's a trade-off between trading high-income jobs for jobs which are more tolerant and where people, where, where gay men can actually be more comfortable as a gay man experiencing their life. So taking that life course approach then, are you able to see the consequences of that? The consequences of this are that going into retirement, their incomes are haven't necessarily been quite as high, but gay men don't have kids at the level that heterosexual men do. And so they end up being a bit better placed financially for retirement. Um, understanding society data could be used to show that. I haven't actually been able to get that analysis sorted out for this report. And I guess the final little bit is that uh, gay men are about three times more likely to live alone as, as straight men. And this carries on into the over, over 50s, and it's actually a bit more pronounced. Understanding society data suggests that. So 
One of the problems in old age for gay men, and this comes back to a matter of poverty, is problems with uh, social support, and um, particularly in old age. Now, for lesbian women, the story was slightly different, wasn't it? They were no more likely than their heterosexual counterparts uh, to be in poverty. Uh, t talk us through that a little bit. The data actually also suggests that they're, um, in, in top-line findings, they're significantly less likely to be, be behind in rent or mortgage payments, less likely to be behind in council tax payments, really no difference in state benefits, apart from the fact that they're almost two and a half times more likely to be receiving job seekers allowance. But that, I think, comes down to the fact that lesbians are significantly more likely to participate in the labor market as compared to heterosexual women. The problem with analyzing lesbianism in terms of material disadvantage, it's very much bound up in gender itself. So it's difficult to sometimes disentangle the difference between being female from being lesbian. So in, in this regard, most of the, all of the comparisons really have to be against other women in order to tell any kind of story. Young girls, lesbian girls, are significantly more likely to be bullied in school. And there is evidence that suggests that that leads to truancy. And again, like young boys, onset of smoking, drinking, drug taking, other sorts of things, which can have consequences for later life achievements. There's significant health differences across the board for lesbians as opposed to heterosexual women generally suffering somewhat poorer health across across the life course. Educationally, lesbians are significantly more likely to receive degrees, very much like um, gay men. But what, whereas gay men suffer in the labor market and actually experience a pay penalty, lesbians experience a pay premium over heterosexual women in the, in the ballpark of around 11 percentage points. Now, we haven't done a full economic econometric analysis of pay with lesbians, but this is, a, you know, not too dissimilar to research out there in the United States and, and in other countries that also finds a pay premium for lesbians. Even once uh, we control for the presence or absence of children in the household. So that's actually quite interesting. And what about when it comes to saving and retirement? There's some evidence that suggests that lesbians have a higher propensity to save and so have a better nest egg going into retirement. But then we've got the same problem as gay men, and you've got issues associated with social isolation. Even though lesbians are a bit more likely to live in couples over the age of 50, but they're still significantly more likely than heterosexual women to live alone. So it's a, again, it's a, it's a similar sort of end of life story to gay men. And is the picture similar for bisexual men and women as for gay and lesbian people? This is the thing that I think is particularly exciting about understanding society as compared to other data resources where research has been done into the lives of sexual minorities. Traditionally, the work around material disadvantage has focused on data resources that identify sexual minorities based on their relationship status to other people. So most of the research that we know has to do with gay couples or lesbian couples as distinct from heterosexual couples. So the only way you can identify somebody who's a sexual minority is if they're in a relationship like marriage or cohabiting. And the thing is that kind of research completely ignores bisexuals. You can't identify somebody as a bisexual because they could be in a heterosexual relationship or they could be in a same-sex relationship. So you can't distinguish them. Understanding society is great because we're asking individuals for their own sexual identification. You can actually analyze bisexuals as a unique group. And it turns out that across the board, their poverty picture, both for men and women, is significantly different. They're both 
bisexual men and bisexual women are more likely to be in poverty. They're also significantly more likely to be behind in household bills, all or some of them, both men and women. They're also significantly likely to be behind in payments on rent and mortgage. Even so, there's no difference between bisexuals and heterosexuals in the presence of children in the household. The propensity to be in same-sex or opposite-sex relationships, we haven't actually been able to look at that per se. There's really no difference between heterosexuals and bisexuals in terms of both men and women, in terms of their propensity to receive state benefits. It's quite clear in your report that there's very little literature already in this area uh, on bisexuals. So what does Understanding Society tell us? What I've been able to find out using um, Understanding Society data is that in terms of health, both bisexual men and women are significantly less physically healthy and mentally healthy, both as compared to heterosexuals, but also compared to gay men and lesbians. Their physical and mental health is, is, is significantly worse, and that's a big question. They perform no different in terms of, as compared to heterosexuals, in terms of education outcomes. So they're no more likely to have a, a university degree, for example. And in terms of pay, their pay does seem to be a bit lower, but it's it's actually more comparable to heterosexuals than than the disparities for, for gay men and the premium for, for lesbians. There's a lot more that has to be done with these data in order to really understand what's going on. I think it's important to make that point, isn't it, uh, Noah, at this stage? It's a very early stage. We've also got more waves of understanding society to come, so presumably over time we will be able to learn more. Well, yeah, and that's the other thing, that sexuality and sexual identity is not a static state per se. It does have some degree of dynamism about it. And we will be asking people's uh, sexual identity again in another wave. And that will allow us to actually look at, you know, what is stable and what isn't stable in terms of outcomes. I just wanted to ask one, one final question then, Noah. I mean, as we speak, you're still working on this report. It's very early days, as we say. But, you know, would you, would you say that there are, the, there are any things that really leap out as important in terms of implications uh, for, for policymakers at this early stage? We absolutely have to improve health, mental, both mental health and physical health, and, and really inspect why it is that, that gay men, lesbians, and bisexuals all suffer poorer health, and really think very carefully about what the consequences that has on life chances and outcome, other kinds of, of material outcomes. There's no question in my mind that we have to improve the experience, school experiences of young gay men, lesbians, bisexuals. The bullying figures are really shocking, um, and particularly the links between victimization, school victimization and mental and, and physical well-being. All of that absolutely has to be improved. The rest of what we can do across uh, the life course and in different other areas, I think is a little bit more touch and go. I, I really can't say at this stage, still need to think through the data and what it actually means. But um, clearly, in the areas of both health and education, there are things that absolutely have to be done, be done. And the data is very clear that something has to be done. An examination of poverty and sexual orientation in the UK is researched by Dr. Noah Urig from the Institute for Social and Economic Research and commissioned by the Joseph Roundtree Foundation.